Hello, friends. It's so nice to see all of you. So many, many familiar faces. It is like coming back home. Let me just give you a brief update on how uh, the Lord has been blessing my family and Winchester Baptist Church. Uh, We were blessed to be here for 20 years and you all ministered to us. You cared for us. You grew us and endured us for all of those years. Thank you so much for your love and your continued love. And uh, especially in my, on my part, thank you for your patience. Uh, the Lord continues to just be so gracious to us and to teach us many things. Um, my family is doing very well. Uh, contrary to what may, you may have heard this morning, my wife Sherry is not with me tonight and tomorrow. So uh, my much better half isn't here. Um, Each of my children are doing well. I have a a son, Zachary, 23, now married, lives in South Florida with his bride in her hometown. My daughter, Janie, is 21, married, and uh, her husband, Matt, is a delight, and they decided that they wanted to uh, get out of town. They didn't want to live in Winchester anymore, so they moved very far away, like 20 minutes down the road. They're faithful members of our church, and uh, uh, it is a delight. Uh, to have one of my married kids that close. They're only over at our house maybe four times a week, something like that. And uh, then my daughter Allie is 16, and um, I'm telling you, you're looking at the most blessed man on the face of the earth. Winchester Baptist Church is now uh, a little over two years old. We started in September two years ago, so we're approaching the two-and-a-half-year mark. Uh, We have... 38 members, we regularly have about 65 people gather with us to worship on Sunday mornings. And um, we're seeing all the marks that you would hope to see of biblical health in a church. And that is because of the grace of God. And it's because of some commitments that we've made to the sufficiency of Scripture and the supremacy of Christ and to saturate everything that we do with the Word and the Gospel and to put all eyes on God. And so all glory goes to Him. Um, right now, I was just thinking of some things that I could share with you. Uh, we have uh, two elders and two deacons who are, pardon me, we have three elders, including myself, two deacons who serve along with us, and these men are faithful, and I praise God for them. These elders care for my soul and help me to shepherd the flock and often shepherd my soul and uh, help me to stay out of the ditches. But... Um, One of the things that we would love to see is more evangelism going on. We we share the gospel. We love the gospel. I think we're growing in that area. But we would like for for the Lord to make disciples through us. And we would like for for God to to be glorified in that way. If you could pray for that, that would be wonderful. We've had several baptisms since we started, but most of those are kind of in-house baptisms, people who were already converted but had never obeyed and declared Christ publicly, Um, or children who became of age, declared their faith in Christ, and and then uh, followed him in baptism. But we have yet to see a disciple made by the the planting of the gospel uh, within our, our spheres, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our city. And we would really love to see this happen. Um, Presently, there are, um, I'm going to say five, I think it's six, but I'm going to say five family units who are worshiping with us on a regular basis 
And I have no idea whether they're going to continue or not, but I would love for them to um, consider joining with us and becoming uh, faithful members of our church. And so you can see that, uh, that we, you know, there's a lot of really good things going on. And so if you would pray to that end. And let me just take the opportunity to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithful support of our church. You guys pray for us, you encourage us, and you faithfully support us monthly with financial gifts that help us stay afloat. And so thank you for all of that. Um, Pastor Farrell asked if I would uh, preach this evening, and I was just delighted and honored with the uh, opportunity to do so. And so I began immediately to think about what I might share with you, what text of Scripture I would preach. God's Word is, is rich, and it's all good. But I thought specifically about um, Timberlake and what I might share with you. And of course, I, I wanted to pick something that would be very, very encouraging. And so I, I started thinking about that early in the week. And then on Tuesday, I got the stomach virus and it wasn't pretty. It was awful for Tuesday and Wednesday. And so I called Pastor Farrell, told him that I would not be coming and that uh, I needed to let him know now so that he had have, have plenty of time to, um, to find somebody else to preach tonight. Uh, and so long about Friday, I contacted him again and said, hey, I'm still going to make the trip. Looking forward to being there. And he said, and I want you to preach Sunday night. And so uh, I decided at that point that uh, I was just going to preach here whatever I preached in my church this morning. And so by God's providence, you are going to be hearing uh, the same sermon tonight that I preached in my church. We're in a study of the epistle of James we are in our fifth week in this study, and so welcome to Winchester Baptist Church. I'm so glad that you have joined us. You've about tripled our size, and this is fantastic, but um, just understand that because truthfully, I wouldn't have chosen this text for tonight. I, I just wouldn't have, and I think you'll understand when we get into it why I wouldn't have. Um, it's confrontational. It's quite negative. It's so well known. You've heard it. 50 times, um, and I, I just wouldn't have selected this particular text, but I am confident that God will speak to us through it. I'm confident that God will do a work in us through his word, because that's how God works. So, let's pray. Lord, you tell us to have ears to hear, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I pray that you would please give us ears that would listen earnestly to your word tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us, edify us, convict us where necessary. And I pray that the gospel would be clear and the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I think if there's anyone who understands the power of words and the damage that they can cause, it's Brian Williams. Brian Williams has been in the anchor of the NBC Nightly News for a little over 10 years. He replaced the legendary Tom Brokaw. Just last week, NBC removed him from his post and suspended him without pay for six months. Why? 
because of words. In a memo, in a memo Deborah Turnus, president of NBC News, explained their decision. And I quote, while on nightly news on Friday, January 30th, 2015, Brian misre- misrepresented events which occurred while he was covering the Iraq war in 2003. It then became clear that on other occasions, Brian had done the same thing while telling that story in other venues. This is wrong and completely inappropriate for someone in Brian's position. As managing editor and anchor of the Nightly News, Brian has a responsibility to be truthful and to uphold the high standards of the news division at all times. In that same memo, she quoted Steve Berkey, CEO of their parent uh, company, NBC Universal, who wrote, By his actions, Brian has jeopardized the trust millions of Americans place in NBC News. His actions are inexcusable, and this suspension is severe and appropriate. Now keep in mind that we're talking about words. Not drugs, not violence, not some kind of a federal offense, not embezzlement. Brian Williams was suspended from a very public position for six months without pay for words. It's because words are powerful. No doubt of all people, Brian Williams knows the power of words. He's been making his living by words for his entire career. But I think in the past two weeks, he's learned something very different. I think Brian has learned that words are not only powerful, but words can be incredibly destructive. And I think he's also learned that the words that really matter aren't those that scroll on the teleprompter, but the ones that come from your heart. So tonight we're going to be learning a lesson about the power and destruction of sinful speech from the book of James. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 3? And even before I continue in this sermon, I just want to tell you that I stand before you as one who desperately needs this sermon. I need this text. The only expertise that I bring to this topic is that of being an expert failure with my words. This text has searched my soul this week and brought great conviction to me this week. And my prayer tonight is that it will do the same thing for yours. James chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. That's God's word to us through the book of James. Now, to understand what James is about to teach us, we need to get the big picture. It's kind of like when you sit down to do a puzzle, you have before you one piece and you can see that that piece looks like something, but you have no idea what the whole picture is. You, you don't really even know maybe what that piece is until you fit it together with everything else that's going on. And so here we have before us a piece of the puzzle. It's the tongue. But why is James talking to us about the tongue? We're going to understand that as we step back and get the big picture And in fact, I'm going to suggest that this big picture is so helpful that I'm going to spend most of my sermon dealing with this big picture. Because I think that this entire pericope is not just verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3. I I actually think that all of chapter 3, verse 1, goes all the way down through chapter 4, verse 12. I, I think that's more like the the exclusion of the pericope that James is dealing with here. I think that that's one long topic. And many commentators, many other interpreters would disagree with me about that issue. But let me explain why I think that. And let me explain why I think that's going to help us understand why James is talking to us about the tongue tonight. First of all, when we look at this larger Scene, not, not just limiting ourselves to this particular paragraph, but when we look at the larger scene, we see that James is writing to a community of Christians who are experiencing serious problems. Look at chapter 3, verse 16, for example. Notice that there's jealousy, selfish ambition, and disorder among them. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. There is Fighting and quarrels. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. They're speaking evil against one another. This is a community of Christians, I would say a church, that has serious problems. Now, let me back off on the word church for a minute, because this letter is actually being written to people who are scattered all over the place. But they are the church, 
And many of them are gathered into local churches and sharing this letter. They're experiencing problems. They have fighting and quarreling going among them. And notice, secondly, that these problems all involve sinful speech. Jealousy, quarreling, fighting, speaking evil against one another. James tells us that all of these issues, this sinful speech, comes from somewhere. It comes not specifically just from the mouth, but these problems are coming from their hearts. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. You have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Where? In your hearts. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And then in chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, we find out that James identifies the deepest issue that's going on here. These people's hearts are full of pride. And so James calls them to repent. To repent of their arrogance and their Pride. Look at it in chapter 4, verse 6 through 10. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Can you hear the imperatible force of every one of these commands? He's saying, repent. Keep reading. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So here we have a community is experiencing serious problems that involve speech, sinful speech. And this sinful speech is coming from hearts that are filled with pride. Now, I'm not going to be quite so dogmatic about this point, but I think that it's entirely plausible that James points to the people, specifically, who are the ones that have proud hearts, the ones involved in the quarreling, the ones involved in the fighting, the ones whose hearts are full of jealousy and selfish ambition. I think he points them out. I think he does so in chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body, and then he launches into his teaching on the tongue. Personally, I think that what James is doing here is he's saying that there are a number of people among you who desire the prominence of being a teacher in your church. You want to be the local 
rabbi. You, it's, it was a position of prominence. It was a position of influence to be the teacher. It was a gift given to the church. And these new believers were clamoring after this influence. This is the way I see it. But I'm not going to hold it too tightly. You could, you could argue with me and be completely right. But those who think they're the most spiritual people in the church are actually the biggest problem here. Because they want this position for all the wrong reasons. So let me review the big picture. The people who desire to be the spiritual leaders in the church are actually the most serious problems in the church because their hearts are full of pride. They operate out of a fleshly mindset. And the evidence of their proud heart is sinful speech. They fight and they quarrel among each other. And James is outraged by this. And in our paragraph, he says, listen to yourselves. You bless God and with the same mouth, you curse each other. Read it there in chapter three, verse nine and ten. He's speaking of the tongue. With the same tongue, we bless our Lord and father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James says, repent. I think that's the picture that we get. I think that's why James is talking to us about the tongue. Because sinful speech is causing huge problems in the Christian community. Could it be true that sinful speech is causing huge problems at Timberlake Baptist Church? As I told you, James is really negative. (laughs) I just wish he would be Positive. I wish you would take the opportunity to talk about the tongue and talk about all of the wonderful things that we could do with our mouth. But he doesn't. And the reason he doesn't is because this is a serious issue. He wants to grab people by their, the, the front of their lapel and he wants to shake them and get their attention because he wants them to repent. But I actually hear This paragraph in the context of the overarching exhortation of the letter of James. James is writing a letter to his brothers. He uses this phrase over and over and over. My brothers, my brothers, it's very affectionate. He he was their pastor, probably in Jerusalem. and, And these are... Christians who are now away from their homes, scattered all over the place. They're enduring lots of different trials. They're having all kinds of problems. Christianity was young. They were probably new to the gospel. And he's, his heart is going out to him. His pastoral heart is breaking for them. And so he is writing a letter to these Christians, exhorting them. And so I hear this even, even as negative 
and confrontational as it is, I hear this actually as an exhortation. And I I want to just give you three quick ways that I see that this is an exhortation that fits in to the entire letter of James. First of all, what I hear when James is addressing the tongue is, brothers, let your words show that you're true Christians. Can I say that again? If you're familiar with the book of James, you'll understand right away why why I say this. Brothers, let your words show that you're true Christians. I take this because we just came out of chapter 2 where people said that they had faith, but they did not have works. And James clearly said, a man who says he has faith, but does not have works, that man's faith is useless and dead. Our works give evidence to our faith. Our works prove that our faith is authentic. And now James keeps writing, and I think what he's saying here is, brothers, so do your words. Let your words, let your speech prove that you're Christians. I also take that because James specifically pointed to sinful speech as an evidence of worthless religion. Look at chapter 1, verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26, James says, If anyone thinks he's religious... Earlier we had someone who said they had faith, but they didn't. Now he's talking about somebody who thinks that he's religious. And he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. James says, brothers, let your words Show the authenticity of your faith. The second reason that I hear a a positive exhortation coming out of this very confrontational and negative passage that we're about to deal with is because of what comes after it. Because of all of the problems that he's going to point to that are happening within the community, within the church. He's not just wanting to beat them up about this. Surely, Pastor James is wanting to say, brothers, let your words promote the health of the church rather than destroying it. Let your words promote the health of the church. And then thirdly, in chapter 2, verse 1, James talks about his brothers holding to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Those who hold to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ are holding the faith of the Lord who is glorious. This was really important because you'll notice in the first sentence of his letter, He knows where these Christians are. These who hold the faith of the Lord of glory, they're scattered all over the world. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. 
James introduces himself and he says to his brothers who are where they are the 12 tribes who are part of the dispersion. The scattering. These new Christians with this faith of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ are being scattered throughout the nations. God is advancing His Gospel through persecution and James wants to make sure of the purity of the Gospel. And so James says, Brothers, let your words display the Gospel and glory of Christ wherever you go and whatever you do. Don't have sinful speech. Make sure that your words, your speech is reflecting the glory of your Lord. Because people are listening. People are defining Christ through His church. Your neighbors are watching you and they... Your witness to the glory of Christ shines through your character and speaks through your words. So let your words display the gospel and glory of Christ. Well, that's about all the positive that I can milk out of this particular passage because now James gets very serious. Because this is a serious issue. I studied this for a week. (laughs) It beat me up. I just recognize how very sinful my speech is. James is so serious about this issue that he wants to press it on us and he's going to use all kinds of different colorful language. He's going to use illustrations to help us see it and get it. In fact, I'm going to say that James views sinful speech as an extreme problem because he speaks with superlatives. He takes everything to the extreme. Everything's a way out there. It's a contrast. Notice in our paragraph, chapter 3, notice verse 2, all. Not just some or part, but all. Look at verse 3, the whole. Look at verse 4, large, strong, and very small. See the superlative nature of his language? Look at verse 5, small and great, and then again, great and small. Six, he doesn't just say your tongue's evil. He says it is a world of unrighteousness. It's a world of evil. Verse seven, not just animals here and there, but every species of animal. And verse eight, no human, not even one. It's restless. It's deadly. It's full of poison. Verse 9, the extremes, blessing on one side and then the complete opposite, cursing on the other. And then verse 11 and 12, he uses illustrations that are absolutely absurd. Impossible. Why? 
Because this superlative language keys us into the fact that this is a, an extreme issue. It's a serious problem, and James wants us to wake up to it. And he teaches us four things that we need to know about our tongue. First of all, in verses 3 through 5, James tells us that your tongue, that the tongue that is in your mouth, not the one in your neighbor's mouth. He wants us to do a self-exam here, not like a doctor who asks other people to stick their tongue out. But he wants us to look at our own mouth and our own tongue. He says, your tongue is small, but powerful. Look at verse 3 through 5. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, yet they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. James uses these three examples to illustrate the small but powerful nature of your tongue. He uses a horse and a ship and fire. Things that are big. But these big and powerful things are controlled and guided by something that is very small. That's what each of these illustrations has in common. That's his point. Your tongue is small. It's small like a bit, like a rudder, or like a spark. But it is powerful. Your tongue may be small, but it can make a powerful impact. And yes, that impact can be very good and very positive. So please, friends, let's use our small but powerful tongue to bless others this week. Let's use our small but powerful tongue to speak words of encouragement, to love people in our family, to love one another. To exhort others. To be kind to one another. To be gracious to one another. To forgive even when sinned against. Boy, what powerful words we can use. The same tongue that has life also has death, does it not? That small but powerful tongue can also be used for the negative. And that's what's happening in this community of Christians. Their words are selfish. Their words are centered on themselves. They grumble. They complain. They argue. They're discontent. They're angry with each other. They bicker and quarrel and they fight. Destructive words. Powerful. 
Secondly, verse six teaches us that your tongue is more evil than you may realize. It's small, but powerful, but it's also more evil than you realize. Read verse six. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among your members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and being set on fire by hell. Notice that all of the notice all the ways that the tongue is described. All of them vivid to help us to understand that our tongue is way more wicked than we can even imagine that it is. Look there in verse six. It's a fire. And it is a world of unrighteousness. Before this sermon, be honest, if I would have come to you on on Thursday and said, excuse me, sir, is your tongue a world of evil? I don't know that we would admit to that. I think that we would probably think, well, no, no, not really. James says it is. Let's stop kidding ourselves. He says in verse 8 that it's an evil that doesn't take a break. It's restless. And it's full of deadly poison. This is your tongue. He says in verse 8 at the end that your tongue is inflamed. It's fueled by hell itself. I mean, James takes us to hell and back to help us to see the evil in our tongues. That's a serious problem, friends. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's why my marriage is the way it is. That's why my relationship with my kids is the way it is. That's why everywhere I go, to the bank or to the grocery store or at work, I seem to make enemies everywhere I go. It's because your tongue is evil. James says it's positioned in such a way. Look there in in verse 6 again. It is set among your members, the, the parts of your body. Your tongue is positioned in such a way to cause problems in every area of your life. And doesn't it? I mean, really, most of our sin, it's sins of speech. Our tongues affect everything. Gives three participles there. Says that your tongue is staining your whole body. It is inflaming your entire life, James superlative takes us to the extreme and it is being inflamed by hell. Your tongue is more evil than you may realize. That would be a great lesson for us to take out of here, wouldn't it? Like this week, to just realize that our tongue is more evil than maybe we think it is. Maybe we're more hurtful more destructive than we actually realize we are? Number three, ever so quickly, 
Verse 7, your tongue is untamable by the human species. Untamable by the human species. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature. That's, that's the Genesis, the, the, the four species that are listed in the Genesis account. Every species of beast, bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. Verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. No one. No human can tame the tongue. I agree with Augustine. He does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but that no one of men. So that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity, the help, and the grace of God. Your tongue is small but powerful. Your tongue is more evil than you may realize. Your tongue is untamable by the human species. And then finally, in verses 9 through 12, James teaches us the final lesson. Your tongue reveals what is truly in your heart. James says, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. What duality, what duplicity, absolute, utter double-mindedness. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And then he throws his hands up in the air and he says, My brothers, these things ought not be so. This has got to stop. Look at verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No, that's absurd. It's either fresh or salt. Everybody knows that. Verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or can a grapevine produce figs? No, of course not. That's absurd. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You're right, James. Why would you say such strange things? Because you call yourself a Christian and speak with the fire of hell. Are you sure that you're not just saying that you have faith? Are you sure you don't just think that you're religious? Because if you can't bridle your tongue, your religion's worthless. You know where he got this? Straight from his Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person 
out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. Listen, friends, if you have looked into the mirror of God's Word tonight, and if you have seen that you have a tongue problem, it's because you have a heart problem. You don't need a new tongue. You need a new heart. Because the tongue is just like a bucket. It dips down into the well of your heart and it brings up whatever's there. And if your, con- if your tongue is consistently bringing up evil, then it's because you have an evil heart. Stop deceiving yourself, James says. Show your faith by your words. The only way you can ever get a new heart is not by determining that on Monday morning and all day Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm going to tame my tongue. I'm going to do better this week. Friends, James has already told us that's a hopeless effort. No man can tame his tongue. But we have one who can. The Lord Jesus Christ conquered death. He can conquer your tongue. He'll give you a new heart. That's His promise in the New Covenant to take out your old heart of stone that's set on flame, uh, set on fire with the flames of hell that spews forth gossip, grumbling, fighting, complaining, anger, and give you a new heart. One that is changed and full of Christ so that your mouth spews forth love and joy and peace. Father, please give us new hearts. Please do a work in our heart so that our mouths are full, full of helpful speech and not destructive speech. Father, please do a work in our hearts to change us so that our hearts are full of Christ, so that when we speak, our words would be full of Christ and would be edifying to our brothers and sisters, to our spouse, to our children, to our neighbors. Please do a work in our hearts pray that You would bring us to the point where we recognize that our tongues and our speech is far more wicked than we realize so that we'll repent. Please do a work in our hearts so that we would desire to make the Gospel and the glory of Christ known through every sentence and every paragraph. All for Your glory. All by Your grace. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.